Well, the title of today's message is His Mission, My Mission. His Mission, My Mission. And last week on Resurrection Sunday, I looked back over the congregation as we were worshiping, and I said to the Lord, what next, Lord? What is on your heart for each person here? How do we live in the light of the resurrection? How do we live in the light of the resurrection? And I had a sense of the Lord speaking to me. And I looked over the people and he just said, but this is an army for the Lord. We are an army for God. Now this past Wednesday, we had an amazing time of prayer uh, together as a pastoral team. And we anointed one another and we just took time to pray for each one of us. And uh, one of my fellow pastors uh, felt to anoint my feet And uh, as he did that, he quoted the following scripture from Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And I realized at that moment that this was a word for me, but also a word for us as a church. That we as God's church need to view ourselves as an army for the Lord. And that each one of us has been called to make Christ's mission our mission. It's a wonderful calling this. There's that verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you see yourself in this light? Because your feet are beautiful to those who need the Lord. There are people who need you and me to walk into their worlds, to walk into their lives, proclaiming peace, bringing good tidings, and declaring salvation. Now, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, from verse 16 to 19, on the screen will be from verse 18 to 19. So let me read the first two verses in context. It says, so he, and that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Can you picture this? And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, in one discourse, Jesus shares his mission with us. And as we read the gospels, We can see how Jesus fulfills his mission. Day after day after day, he fulfills this mission. He preached the good news of the kingdom to the poor. Not just those who were poor financially, but the poor in spirit. Those who were hungering after God, he preached to them. He healed the brokenhearted. Can you remember how he ministered so tenderly to Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus had died? Or think about the widow in Nain, that village called Nain, whose child had died, and Jesus raised that child from the dead, and he healed the brokenhearted. He proclaimed liberty to the captives. 
Those captive to illness were healed. Those caught up in religion, dead religion, they were set free. He even freed from bondage those who were caught up with mammon, the love of money. Tells about the tax collectors, Zacchaeus as well as Matthew, and how when Jesus met with them, their love of money was broken. The hold was broken, and uh, they were set free. Jesus gave sight to the blind, and the demon-possessed were delivered from oppression. He had complete authority. Spirit of the Lord was on him. The ultimate fulfillment of his mission took place when Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven, and when he rose again and he conquered the power of sin and death. That was the ultimate fulfillment of his mission. In so doing, he proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. When they talk about the word year, they talk about the acceptable era of the Lord. That's what we're still in now, of the favor of the Lord. The veil was torn from top to bottom of the temple, and uh, we can have access to the Holy of Holies, right into the Father's presence, to all His favor, to all His liberty that He offers each one of us. But how exactly has Christ's mission become our mission, you may ask? Well, in John 20, verse 19 to 22, we read the following. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. I'm sure there are some people here who need the Lord just to speak his peace over you today. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You can almost picture the scene of how happy the disciples must have been. They loved Jesus, they'd walked with Jesus, they were in despair when he died, and now here he is right in front of them, and they are rejoicing. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is a pivotal encounter. This is the moment that changed the disciples' lives forever. There's the verse, it's tucked away. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus hands the baton to the disciples. Jesus hands the baton to each one of us. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, that is confirmed when Jesus shares the Great Commission. And it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Friends, Jesus lived every day with a very, very clear sense of his mission. And we too need to live each day of our lives with a very clear sense of His mission being our mission. Today I'd like to share about three heart attitudes that are needed for missional living. Three heart attitudes for missional living. Firstly, we need to be on fire. Our hearts need to be on fire for the Lord. And this happens when we have a personal encounter with Jesus. This happens when we have ongoing 
personal encounters with Jesus. Let's reflect again on that text in John 20. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I would imagine that there are people here today that feel a bit like the disciples felt after Jesus died. Perhaps you are going through things in your life where you are experiencing despair or, or confusion or, or fear. Maybe your peace is gone and, and your joy tank feels very empty. Well, I know that the Lord would want to meet with you right in that place. He would want to restore your peace and restore your joy. And the Lord wants to breathe on you so that the fire of the Holy Spirit can be kindled in your life. Can you remember how Jesus met with two of his followers on the road to Emmaus and he talked with them along the road and he explained to them what the scripture said about himself and at the end of the journey he broke bread with them and their eyes were opened and they saw this is Jesus. And then he disappeared from their sight and they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us as he spoke to us along the road? Now, this would have been late in the evening, but they didn't wait until the next day to head back to Jerusalem. Immediately, they got back on the road and they headed back because they couldn't wait to tell the disciples that they had met with Jesus, that they had had an encounter with him. It's interesting to note that Jesus seems to have deliberately sought out and met with key people after his resurrection. In the garden, he meets with Mary Magdalene. Right at the tomb, he meets with her. Now, Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. She was a devoted follower of Jesus because Jesus had set her free of seven demons. She was devoted. She was heartbroken when Jesus died. She was heartbroken. But there Jesus meets with her, and he restores the brokenhearted. Jesus met with Thomas. Now, sometimes in our lives, we experience times where we doubt or we become a little bit skeptical. Something happens to us and we find ourselves being able to relate to Thomas the doubter. But here Jesus seeks out Thomas and he has this encounter with Thomas. He says, Thomas, come put your fingers in my wounds. And in that moment, the doubt is removed from him and he believes. The Lord will meet with anyone here that may be doubting in some way. And then Jesus meets with Peter, Peter who had denied the Lord, and uh, Jesus finds him, and he restores him into ministry. An encounter with the Lord makes all the difference. When was the first time that you had a personal encounter with the Lord, a powerful personal encounter with the Lord? Can you remember that time? Think about it. Let me ask you a second question. When was the last time that you had a powerful personal encounter with the Lord. What did he say to you? What has changed in your life since that encounter? Or perhaps you are sitting here and you are in need of a fresh touch from the Lord. So there's this picture of Jesus going out of his way to meet with people, to deliberately and intentionally have encounters with them. But we too need to pursue Him. We need to seek Him. When I lived in Cape Town, I was working in the corporate world, and uh, this is important, especially for all of you who are in business or in corporate, but twice a year, I would go on a retreat. I would go away for a weekend to a little retreat center, 
I would fast and pray and spend time in the Word for two days and two nights. And uh, I was never disappointed. Time and time again, the Lord would speak into my, into my life. Because there's a scripture in Hebrews 11 verse 6 that says, The Lord is a rewarder of all who diligently seek Him. Now once a month, each of us as pastors take a whole day where we spend time seeking the Lord. A time of refreshing, a time to get in His presence, a time to get topped up. And uh, as I chat to the different pastors, month after month after month, our hearts rejoice. God speaks, God speaks. God comes and He meets with us. I love the word that Peter just shared about how sometimes we need to spend quite a lot of time in seeking the Lord. Now daily quiet times are so important. Daily quiet times are so important. And abiding in His presence throughout the day is really what God's heart is for us, that we just linger with Him. Whatever we're doing, we are aware of God's presence throughout the day. But I've found that our busy lives can hinder us from spending the amount of time that we need to have powerful personal encounters with Jesus. The kind of encounters that cause our hearts to burn, those kind of encounters. Perhaps it's time to reclaim some ground. Anyone wanting to reclaim some ground? Maybe we need to fast a meal or fast a few meals to switch off the technology, to quieten our hearts and to linger in His presence. I want to encourage you to do something this week and uh, a bit of a challenge. Choose a day where you can clear your diary for three to four hours. Do you think that's possible? Somewhere in this next seven days where you can choose a day, might have to book it, where you can clear your diary for three to four hours. It could be a morning, it could be an afternoon, it could be an evening, and you set that time apart. You switch off your cell phone, you tell the people in your family and around you, you don't want to be interrupted during that time. You get alone with God, your Bible, and a notebook, and you say, Lord, here I am. You begin to share your heart with Him. You begin to listen to Him. You ask Him to speak. You read the Word. And you just linger for a, a lengthened time in the Lord's presence. The Lord longs for time with us like this. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. One of my most significant encounters with the Lord was on my seventh anniversary of being a pastor. From the time I woke up on that day, I just had a complete sense of the Lord's overwhelming presence. And throughout the day, the Lord was leading me and speaking to me. I felt like I was floating through the day. Incredible time. At the same time, the rain was falling. This gentle rain fell the whole day. And as the rain fell, I just felt the Lord was filling me up. That evening, we had a meeting at church, and I went to the meeting, but I wasn't really there. You know when you're there, but the Lord's speaking, and your heart's stirring, and everything's burning in you. It was a tremendous time, and after the meeting, I got home. It was late, and I just sat with the Lord, and I sat with my journal, and I just began to write. And the Lord just spoke into my heart, encouraged me. I still got those notes. And look at that incredible encounter that I had with the Lord. Friends, we need to do whatever is needed for our hearts to be on fire for the Lord. Because when we are on fire for the Lord, missional living becomes easy. His mission becomes our mission. And His mission becomes our joy. When the Lord's presence consumes us, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. My second point is that for the Lord's mission to be our mission, we need to be in love with the Lord. 
We need to be in love with Him. We need to be compelled by love. In John 21, we read the beautiful story of Jesus restoring Peter. Can you remember how the disciples had gone fishing and they'd fished throughout the night and they'd caught nothing? Earlier the next morning, Jesus is on the shoreline and He calls out to them. He says to them, throw your net on the other side of the boat. So they do that and they catch a whole lot of fish. Peter immediately realizes this is the Lord. So he jumps overboard, swims to shore, and there Jesus had already prepared a fire with some fish and some bread on that fire. And the other disciples bring in the nets and they get to shore and they have breakfast with Jesus, prepared by Jesus. This is what it says in John 21, verse 15 to 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In this conversation that Jesus has with Peter, he examines his love for him, and then he gives him a charge concerning caring for the flock of God. And I suppose that this question that Jesus asked Peter is a question that we all need to answer. Can you close your eyes for a moment and picture Jesus mentioning your name, looking right into your eyes and saying to you, your name, do you love me? How would you answer? You know, in Matthew 10 verse 37, Jesus said this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now we know that the love that binds family together, it's a beautiful love. It's an affirming love, the way we love those that God has given us. And Jesus says that the love that we have for him must be even greater than the love that we have for those closest family members who we love so dearly. You know, in John 8 verse 42, there's a little verse tucked away. And uh, Jesus is being challenged by the Pharisees. And he says these words to them. He says this, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded and came forth from God. You see, a love for Jesus like this requires a whole new nature. It requires that we are born again into God's family, and that we view God as our heavenly Father. It is impossible to truly and honestly love Jesus from the fallen nature. It's impossible. We need to be redeemed. We need to see ourselves as adopted into His family. For when we internalize the fact that He calls us beloved, then we can love Him from a place of relationship, from a place of intimacy. And then everything we do flows from a heart of love. Our worship 
from a heart of love for him. Our service from a heart of love for him. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John Piper commented on this verse and says, Sometimes people use these words to say, Loving Jesus is keeping his commandments. But that is not what it says. It says that keeping Jesus' commandments comes from our love for him. First, we love him. And then because of this, overflowing from this, we do what he says. So when he asks us to preach good news to the poor, when he asks us to bind up the brokenhearted, when he asks us to set the captives free and he anoints us to preach the good news, well, we do all of those things from our heart of love. In our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, we as an army for the Lord can help others around us experience God's love and His salvation. The Lord is saying to you, do you love me? Then make my mission your mission. So my first point is about being on fire for the Lord. My second point is about being in love with the Lord. And my third point is about being ever watchful. If you've been participating in our NT260 reading plan, you would have read Luke chapter 12 a week ago. Let me read verse 35 to 37 uh, from Luke chapter 12. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, keep your heart burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Listen to what will happen. Truly, I tell you, the Lord himself will dress himself to serve, will make them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. When I was in my teens, two of my favorite books were God Smuggler by Brother Andrew and God Smuggler to China by Brother David. Who's read those books? Anyone? A couple of people? I read both of books a few times because I was so taken by these men who were willing to put their lives on the line to smuggle Bibles into countries where the Word of God was illegal. Brother Andrew would go behind the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe and Brother David into communist China and they would find ways to smuggle Bibles in. It was quite remarkable. But something that always caught my attention by these two men was the sense of urgency that they had. They knew that this Bible could lead to countless people getting saved. But they also knew that Jesus had said that he's coming back. And they knew that he could come back any time. So they need to get as many Bibles into these countries as possible so that many people can get born again before the Lord returned. There was a sense of urgency that, I, that they had. It's amazing to see how the disciples' change, lives changed after they met with Jesus, after Jesus ascended into heaven, and after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Their lives were completely transformed. There was an urgency to their lives. They started preaching the good news. They fulfilled the Great Commission. And many of them were even prepared to give up their lives in order to ensure that uh, people could get to know Jesus before he returned. They were dressed and ready for service, the disciples. They were ever watchful. And they were committed to fulfilling the Great Commission 
even if it costs them their lives. Now, we are living in the year 2018, and I fear that many people, even believers, have become cynical, not really believing that Jesus could return in their lifetime. This is serious because when we lose our watchfulness, it is just a matter of time before we lose our dedication to Christ's mission, where we think, well, someone else can preach the good news. Someone else can bind up the brokenhearted. Someone else can set the captives free. Jesus is tearing. But what if Jesus is coming back very soon? What happens if he comes back tomorrow or next Sunday or the week after that? Jeff Log in his book titled Live Like a Missionary said the following, the self-focus of postmodern culture has infiltrated the church. From the health and wealth gospel promising vitality and riches for every believer to self-aggrandizing choices to spend more and more money on ourselves rather than our mission to the nations. Many Christians today believe the ultimate goal of the Christian life is personal fulfillment. But Jesus had a different idea. He promised abundant life to his followers through the self-sacrificing decision to lose our lives for his sake. Friends, when we live watchful lives, when we are eager for Christ's return, when we make his mission our mission, a kingdom order is restored to our lives. I'd like to end with one final story that I read just the other day. In 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted to swim 26 miles from the coast coast of California to Catalina Island. That's 40 kilometers, and to swim 40 kilometers is a long way. That's like swimming from here to Johannesburg. After 15 hours, and that's a long time to be swimming, a heavy fog began to block her view, and she became disorientated, and she gave up. To her dismay, Chadwick learned that she had quit just one mile short of her destination. Two months later, she tried a second time. Again, a thick fog settled in. But this time, she reached the other shore, becoming the first woman to swim the Catalina Channel. When interviewed, she said that she kept an image of the shoreline in her mind, even when she couldn't see it. So how do we watch and wait for the Lord's return at times in our lives where it feels like the fog of life has come in and blurred our vision. We hold on to God's word. We keep a picture of the shoreline in mind. We hold on to his promises of his return. In that time, we watch prayerfully. We use our gifts. We give to the poor. We offer help where needed. We offer hope where we see despair. And we keep our eyes on the clouds, knowing that one day the Lord will return. Let us pray. I'd like to ask, um, with our eyes closed, if I can ask everyone who's in full-time ministry to please stand, as well as anyone who feels in their heart that the Lord, at some point in your life, will be moving you into a place of full-time ministry. Just stand. And uh, as I pray, Heavenly Father, I just pray for each person standing. I thank you, Lord God.
But I can ask you to strengthen them, that you will help them to stay strong and focused, serving wholeheartedly, Lord God, in the call that is on their lives. Father, I pray for those who sense a call to full-time ministry, that you, Lord, will begin to prepare them and begin to open doors. I pray that at the right time, Lord God, you will launch them into that. I just cover them in prayer. Now, if I can ask people to join in standing, anyone who you see your workplace as a mission field, your heart is to be salt and light. Your heart is to be on fire for the Lord. Your heart is to be in love with the Lord. Your heart is to be ready, dressed for service every day you go to work, ready to look for opportunities to show God's love. If you can join me in standing. Father, I just pray for each person that has stood now. I thank you, Lord, that the workplace is a full-time mission field. I pray, Father God, for your anointing, Lord, upon them by your Spirit. Lord, I thank you that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed them to preach good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed them to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, Lord God, and to free all those who are oppressed. Lord, I pray for opportunities upon opportunities, Lord God. We thank you that the harvest is ripe, and I pray that people in our church, this army, Lord God, will be used by you to extend your kingdom in their generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone.